Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. You are listening to episode 94 of the show and this is A Current Affair. Today we will be joined by two people who are going to tell us about their respective campaigns that they've been involved in. First one up will be John Brennan who will tell us a little bit more about Save Leitrim, a campaign that he is heavily involved in and of course we're all familiar with the idea of Sitka Spruce taking over the county of Leitrim and maybe we've seen the headlines but we don't really know what's beneath the surface of the argument. Well John's going to go in depth as to why this is not a good thing for our county, for our businesses, for our farmers and for the land itself over the next 20 minutes or so. We'll also be catching up with Ronan Hazlett who is Managing Director of Mirenda Limited in Manor Hamilton. And they of course are a manufacturing company who produce a wood veneer edging product. And Mirenda during the week hosted a fabulous event where they imposed all the restrictions that Brexit, a no deal Brexit would impose on their company. And they volunteered this to show the effect that that would have on their company. And Ronan tells us about the steps that they have taken to ensure that that impact is as low as possible. It's never going to be zero though. And he tells us what that impact will be in a well-placed company who have put some thought and effort into the impact that Brexit is going to have on their processes, on their costs, and ultimately on their bottom line. We're going to start with John though. And the Save Leitrim campaign has been around for a couple of years. So let's find out a little bit more about the campaign and why they want us to save Leitrim. John Brennan, the manager of Leitrim Organic Farmers Co-op and one of the members of Save Leitrim, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Rafney. First of all, tell us a little bit about the co-op as in terms of what your involvement in that whole world of, of nature is. <clears throat> well, Leitrim Organic Farmers Co-op was established in 1998 by local organic farmers, um, mainly because there was very little infrastructure, no opportunities to sell your stock or produce and uh, also there was uh, a need seen to for educational and training programs as well for organic farmers that were not being delivered by Chagask and other bodies. So the co-op was really established um, I suppose with that in mind but in 2001 then it also became a, a, a required a community services program which allowed it to take on some staff and I joined the co-op at that stage and we have uh, three staff and uh, we also have uh, another additional company called National Organic Training Skillnet based in the same uh, building which was established um, in conjunction with ourselves and so we offer training programs there through that nationally as well. Um, so the co-op's main role really is representing smallholders which and really in, in Leitrim most farmers are in that category. They're small farmers, suckler farmers, maybe some people with sheep and also a few growing vegetables but our job is if people come to us to help them to maybe get a herd number, uh, you know get some entitlements, 
fill in all their, their paperwork and everything. And so we're there as a resource as well for people who struggle with IT and everything is driven by IT now. Farmers have to make all their applications online. And we have an elderly farming population and often they need assistance as well. So that's the social dimension really of, of what we do. Um, we also are involved in some education with young people in the schools. We have a polytunnel on site. Um, we would also have discussion groups uh, that we run um, and we work with the local uh, Mart and Drumshambo to run organic sales and we also have contracts for finished stock as well. So we do quite a number of different things depending on the time of the year and who, what, what group of farmers we're dealing with. In terms of percentages, how many farmers in Ireland at the moment are organic farmers as opposed to well the, well, the numbers remain fairly flat, but about 2,000 out of whatever, if there's maybe 100,000 herd numbers in the country, you know. So it's still quite a small proportion, and it represents just under 2% of, of utilisable land area in the country. I mean, there are many different reasons for that. Um, I suppose where I would view it is more institutional bias against uh, the development of the sector because it doesn't suit some of the agribusiness interests. That would be a kind of my top They're trying view. to sell their... <clears throat> but I mean, over over time, uh, with, with the climate crisis that we have now, um, organic farming fits very well into what's known as biological and regenerative farming. And you will have people as distinguished as um, some of the Democratic candidates in the US talking about this type of farming as a way to better deal with sequestering carbon and <clears throat> dealing with the, the sequestering or removal of CO2 from the atmosphere and also reducing the output of CO2 as well. So I think, you know, organic farming now has found its time. And here in Leitrim, we have probably in the region of about 200 certified organic farmers, which is not bad. Um, we have probably in Roscommon maybe near to 300. So there's a quite a density in this area, many of them small scale and some of them part time as well, livestock farmers. But nevertheless, what we're all about is keeping people on the land. So if a farmer comes in or someone comes in to me and says, I have three hectares of land, I'd like to farm it organically. I see them as equally important as somebody with the 300. In fact, more so because the person with the 300 acres has a better chance of already being in the system and having all that. But we have quite a few people who are relocating to Leitrim and wanting to be more in touch with the land and the soil. And that is really important because, you know, we need to keep people in the countryside. We need to keep Leitrim vibrant. And many of these people participate not just in farming, but in the culture, heritage and other aspects of the county as well. Can you describe to me maybe what one of the smallest members of the co-op might look like on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of the farm size? Yeah, well, what, what, what the, the, a smaller member might look like, he'd be somebody maybe that's, that's maybe a tradesman as well it does maybe some work off the farm but like he would generally have we'll say maybe five six suckler cows he would go out and visit he would see those uh daily he would maybe move them on he might also have maybe some hens um he would be participating or she would be participating in in the organic scheme and also probably in gloss so that they would be planting trees, maintaining hedgerows. Um, you have to remember as well, if they're organic, they're not adding any pesticides or anything. So they're they're doing a lot in the way of... So so basically, it's, it's a small-scale farm, 
probably run on a part-time basis but from the point of view of biodiversity and what it does um, from delivering on that it's really really important the farmer would probably sell their stock to the local organic sale or maybe farm to farm um, <clears throat> they might have some sheep as well you know so it's that's that's just one example that's in my head you know those like cattle that are sold here then as young cattle they migrate to maybe County Mead or Longford or other places where they're fattened. And we have direct relationship with those finishers to get those cattle to the market so they come back to Leitrim to start that cycle all over again. So the old traditional um, movements of, of stock, always, stock always moved from the poorer land to the better land. We try and replicate that through the organic system. Excellent. In terms of Save Leitrim, where does that whole campaign start and end really with the organic farming and the things? Well, Save Leitrim, I suppose, that's been bubbling for a long time. Um, it started a little bit out of the anti-fracking campaign and the co-op was heavily involved in the anti-fracking campaign, which again we felt was going to damage sort of people's health, the environment, livestock. And in fact, we had farmers in County Mead saying to us, look, if you frack Leitrim, we won't be coming down anymore because, you know, you'll just poison the place. So very quickly, we understood the link between industrialisation uh, through fracking and the environment. Now, when that ca campaign was over, some of the people said, look, you know, that forestry is just as big a threat and it's, it's already here and it's already operational. So in terms of how forestry, I mean, forestry should be a good thing and environmentally trees do a great job in many different ways. But the type of forestry that we got in Leitrim was more or less an industrial type forestry, which really didn't take account of the landscape, local people or anything. It was basically a short uh, rotation monoculture Sitka spruce crop that you harvested very quickly and get a, got a return for the investors. And it didn't really take into account any other considerations. Sure, landowners could make money out of it, farmers and so on. But ultimately taking the long-term view, we saw it as, first of all, a type of forestry that was being taken away from farmers. There were many non-farming uh, interests involved. Um, we do see a role for farmers in forestry. And I'll give you an example, for instance, in the gloss scheme, I would have encouraged lots of people to grow a small um, grove of native trees, which many of them have done very successfully. So if we're going to have forestry in the future, farming farmers are intrinsic to it. And it should be as part of a high nature value program, which would be a little bit similar to the old reps, but would have basically the farmer carrying out all of these environmental things, planting some trees as well, and but doing it as much for the environment as anything else. I think the current model, all it's going to do is it's just wiping out uh, wildlife, it's wiping out townlands. Nobody can exist if they're surrounded on three or four sides by big walls of conifers. And in, in the end, the forestry interests know that those houses will be abandoned and then the, everything is abandoned, the roads don't need to be maintained and they can get on with, with, with what they do. But I don't think the people of Leitrim will stand back and accept uh, that as a, a fait accompli and in fact Save Leitrim is basically about doing a couple of things um, number one <clears throat> ensuring that we maintain people farming on the land but also as well that we have <clears throat> supports for high nature value farming a decent retirement scheme and that we can transfer land 
from older to younger farmers and that the only option isn't just uh, forestry. But we believe that we have sufficient forestry here in Leitrim now that the existing forestry should be managed in a sil- into to methods such as continuous forest cover or silvopastoral methods. So what that would mean is thinning out the existing canopy of Sitka and planting it with diverse species and improving the overall life in the forest. Also as well, these are not forests that people can, well, they're not amenities. We should be turning these more into amenity so that people can cycle or, you know, bike through them or, you know, whatever they're going to do, that we open up the county and that the forest then becomes part of the tourist offering rather than just simply dead zones spread around the hills. Now we've heard a lot of talk about Sitka spruce and you mentioned it already. What's the difference between the Sitka spruce and other alternatives? Well I suppose the first thing is that you know Sitka spruce is a conifer. There are other conifers as well and it's not that a small amount of conifers in the canopy aren't okay. It's that you simply have um, pines and pines by their nature are acidic. So uh, they also as well, in the way they're planted, because there's only the one species, you end up with a situation where nothing grows underneath. The timber grows exceedingly fast and is very weak. So it's really of a very, very low value. A lot of it ends up going for things like um, pallet wood, you know, pulp and things like that. In fact, at the moment, it seems most of it's going to be piled up in yards in Northern Ireland um, as a, in a kind of a pre-Brexit strategy. So we're not producing high value timber. Um, and, it, and apart from providing the, producing low value timber, there's also as well damage that's been done. For instance, if you, if you plant on a bog, on a peat bog, you're basically releasing the carbon from the bog which is a carbon sink in itself and putting this in what's really recognised in some countries as almost an invasive species on top of the bog. Now, the big issue here is that the, the forestry um, interests have been operating to guidelines and these guidelines have been basically ignoring various directives from Europe or certainly cl- flying as close to the wind as they can. And they've been getting away with it. And I think what's needed now is a change in forestry policy one that takes into account people, the environment, uh, uh, tourism and all the other factors, uh, clean water and also that we're not acidifying local rivers and damaging, um, silting up rivers through various extraction process. Also as well, we have a policy here of clear felling. That now is, is recognised as being out of date, that you should not clear fell. Can you explain what that is to me? Okay, clear felling is where you come in and you just simply cut away everything. You just cut down all the trees and you replant. Um, the the ideal would be that you would take out the more mature trees and then what you would do is you would open out the canopy which makes it more useful to nature and then you would introduce other species as well um, that, that make it much more diverse and a much nicer place and a much better habitat as well and that you also grow other species like oak and, and other other species that are of a higher value in terms of the timber and their value to nature as well. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment here and I'm guessing when I haven't done much research into this subject, that simply planting in one fell swoop, cutting down and replanting is the cheapest option. Uh, yes, I would I would agree with you. I think it is a cheap option, but it doesn't take into account the externalities. So let's say you say that, okay, you've got a crop there, you come in with your machine, you hack it down, and these machines are super machines. I've seen them in action. They just simply can, you know, blitz acres in, 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 in hours. But... You know, in that process, there's a lot of heavily trampling with with machinery, a lot of heavy trucks, a lot of damage to roads and everything drawing in. Uh, You know, 
got maybe 30 ton loads coming in these little roads damage to roads uh, and generally a huge unsightly mess that's left for a long long time afterwards now take into account other things like the rain that we had yesterday where you've got forestry activity in this kind of weather you get a lot of runoff with silt and everything that's going into the local lake i would argue that tourism you know fishing around the lakes here is very very important we see we've seen very good catches of pike and everything and the area needs to continue to attract fishermen from the uk and beyond and and and, and european fishermen as well back to this area and other tourists as well so i think if they're looking at unsightly clear fells all over the place you know rivers messed up silted up and damaged done to the aquatic life in the rivers well then really we're not thinking long term the short-termism that you talk about, yes, that'll be achieved. A quick return to the investors who now are now suing some of these companies because they're saying, hold on, guys, we're not getting the return that you promised. You know, the 10% isn't there. Maybe it's even a minus factor. So there's a whole perfect storm now that's coming together. Disappointed investors in forestry, people disappointed with the returns, locals disappointed with the damage done. You know, a general kind of a malaise that's affecting the whole sector and lots and lots of research coming from all over the place. For instance, take Germany. Germany has something called the spruce beetle that is affecting a lot. And that's because they also went down the route of having nothing but spruce plantations. Now, if we do that here and the spruce beetle comes in, the same thing happens because monocultures, it, the, the idea of having a diversity is that if you have something like the spruce beetle, in a diverse situation, something else will come and predate on the beetle. You know, you'll have a frog or a lizard or something else. But when you just simply have um, the same uh, tree all the time and you get this guy in and he starts to like it, there's nothing to, to take him out. And then, well, you can start using chemicals, but then you're into a whole other ballgame. So this is really where, where we're saying, no, you, there are much better models uh, that we can adopt. Farmers and landowners in Leitrim should be at the centre of that. They should be encouraged. But it should be very much nature-based type woodland um, that you get things like good timber, shelter for, for livestock. Farmers can still, you know, farm their cattle and everything. We're not saying they won't. I think small-scale cattle farming and sheep farming up here is really important because that does its own good for biodiversity as well. In terms of the farmer, someone who has a bit of land and is looking at options, maybe yep. maybe he's taken on his father's or parents' farm and now he's looking, maybe he hasn't got the time that he had and is looking at options. And he looks down and he sees, well, there's something I can do, nice, quick and easy and cheap. Why would you encourage him to not go down that route? Like what specific actions can he take that yeah. might be not quite as invasive into his time and his other commitments because mm. lives farmers as you mentioned are part-time farmers now in some cases yeah, yeah. so what other options are there well i would say first of all that farmers are quite are usually proud about their land you know they've inherited it was fought hard for in this part of the world and so even if it's poor land they have an affinity with it um I think sometimes when they see a crop of Sitka spruce after 10 or 15 years, oftentimes they get a bit downhearted because they realise that's the end of all the hedges, of all the history, of all the culture associated with that townland. What I would say to farmers is we have a new common agriculture policy coming in that's going to be very much linked to climate change. And I think within that there will be a number of different schemes that will be aimed at younger farmers, that will be aimed at environmentally, that will give them a chance to hold on to their land, but to do something that's much more constructive environmentally and get paid for. 
And what that's known as at, at, in Eurospeak, it's called public goods. So the, the idea that farmers deliver on clean water, clean air, nice countryside, means that the folks in the city have something nice to come out to. And that's a public good. That's something that's there for everybody. So the cap needs to deliver on public goods. And I think this time around, I think there will be a big, big drive. So I would say, if you're thinking of planting your land now, hold on and wait to see what's in the new the new common agricultural policy. And there might be things in there or programs in there that might fit with your own aspirations, make still let you hold on to the land, but make it a really nice place for you to, to continue to live and operate. In terms of, say, of Leitrim, tell me a bit about the actual makeup of the organisation. What other organisations are represented in it or individuals are <coughs> taken? Well, part? I suppose we, we all, we, I mean, we ourselves are, are only there as individuals. I mean, you have, um, we have one or two county councillors um, from various, some independents, some from other political parties. We have uh, teachers. Um, we have, um, <clears throat> we have uh, you know, a mix of people. Uh, from different backgrounds, um, you know, from mechanics and various things, some farmers, some contractors, but people all who are who are based or, you know, are living or make their livelihood in the county. And again, I, I think that they're a fine bunch of people with various different talents. We've also been able to second some help from other people who are generally interested in, in environmental issues and who also, um, you know, have the same aspirations as ourselves not to see uh, further encroachment of these monoculture plantations into the county and just seeing whole townlands uh, eviscerated as a result. So so uh, I would say a broad background of people, uh, but again, people who some of them were involved in the anti-fracking campaign as well. And I think a lot of people involved in that campaign saw the power of communities coming together. It's not just the hippies. And thankfully, we do have the hippies in Leitrim. And I want to salute the hippies because without the hippies, we may not have had the same level of organic activity in the county. The hippies we're all hippies to an extent. People come and they have maybe out of cities and places, come to places like this, still see the value in what's here, try to encourage the rest of us to see the value. And many of them come with talents which can help you to, you know, when it comes to an organisational situation, they can bring a lot to the table. So I think we should we should uh, embrace the hippies and maybe the hippie inside us all. <laughs> In terms of someone listening to this show who agrees with what you're saying and wants to help or wants to support, is there a mechanism for them to get involved? Of, co- of course, we, we like, like yourself, like this radio station goes out on the internet, we uh, also have a very strong social media presence. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, we have a website. Um, just also very important to say that we will be marching to the Dáil on the 10th of uh, October and uh, buses will be leaving Leitrim. So all the details again are online. You can, you, can, uh, you can go on one of the buses or make your own way to the Dáil and we will be there linking with other groups, um, very much talking about how we, we were, our aim is to ensure that we're retaining as much carbon or keeping as much carbon in the ground. So we would be saying that, you know, it's about preserving the peatlands that we have, making sure they're not planted on, making sure we don't uh, we don't continue with this current planting campaign. And that if trees are grown again, that the, the trees are grown by landowners or farmers in the county, but at the appropriate time of trees, and that they're not done in a, in these kind of monoculture ways, that they that they add to the, the you know, there's, um, if you take someone like John McGahern, 
Like if you listen to McGarren and in his books, the way he evokes the landscape of both North Roscommon and South Leitrim, which you cannot really separate apart from the fact there's a border there. Um, maybe you're a football match. The river. The obviously, Shannon. and the Shannon. The Shannon <laughs> but if you listen to that and if you kind of, you know, I remember one time being in the Netherlands and this was at a meeting where they were talking about, you know, landscape. And the, the Netherlands is basically an industrial landscape. But if you go to the museums in Amsterdam, you'll see all of the, the landscapes of Rembrandt, Van Gogh and Vermeer. They're all about meadows and old windmills. So in actual fact, the Dutch are beginning to start to say, well, you know, we have lost a huge amount. Um, and again, you know, we made the same point that there are traditions and stories and history and football games that were played in townlands that may cease to exist. And once they're covered in, you know, uh, pines, the, the, those stories are gone forever and nobody knows anymore about those. And indeed, the, the flora and the fauna, all those other things are gone as well. So I think it's not just simply about, you know, planting trees. This is much more of a societal thing. And it's much more fundamental to where Leitrim will, will be in the future. Well, John, thank you so much for coming in to me. It's Thanks for a, an admirable cause. And I know it's been around for a couple of years and hopefully it has the same effect as the fracking campaign had on that particular uh, intrusion into the county's life. Yeah, I, I think we'd, we'd, we'd look forward to... Uh, at, and, and it wasn't a case of... It was basically looking at the science, and it is about the science at the end. We we have a a young girl, Greta Thunberg, who keeps talking about that humans have to look at the science when it comes to climate change. With all this, you have to get as much scientific evidence as you can to back up your case. And the science is now there saying that the type of forestry we have in Leitrim is not sound from, from any perspective. So I think we'll, 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 we'll use the science to, to, to try and continue to fight the campaign and hopefully we'll have a successful outcome. I suppose it's important to repeat that this isn't an anti-forestry no. campaign. It's just about let's plan it better, let's be more strategic and let's not put the dollar or the euro as the only goal in terms of getting it back out as much money as we can as quickly as possible. That's it. Yeah. Listen, John Brennan of Save Leitrim and also manager of the Leitrim Organic Farmers Co-op Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Rafferty. Pleasure. I'd like to take a moment to remind you about the event that we are hosting in the Glen Centre on Tuesday night, the 8th of October, and it is up for the match. It is a fantastic night of previewing the county finals next weekend. We're going to have guests from each of the four teams at senior and intermediate level. So Glen Carmanor Hamilton, Sean Heslin's Ballinamore, Leitrim Gales, Andrum Kieran. We'll have some characters from each of those clubs joining us on the night to talk about their memories of their days in their respective clubs jersey as well as Leitrim 1994 team members from those clubs, Aidan Rooney of Glen Carmanor Hamilton and Joe Honeyman of Balnamore, Sean O'Heslands, and they'll be joining us to talk about their memories of what life was like to be part of that team in 1994. Tickets are €10, they are available on theglencentre.com, and the entire ticket price will be going to Northwest Stop for all the good work that they do. And we've chosen that charity because A, it's local, it's a Leitrim charity that does fabulous work, but B, and probably more importantly, today marks the start of World Mental Health Week. And it's a cause that is close to my own heart. And I really, really love to support a good mental health and suicide prevention charity, and particularly one from County Leitrim, that needs every single 
penny of funding it can get. We are really looking forward to a fantastic night on Tuesday night in the Glen Centre and we would love your company. Please buy your tickets early because we don't know how many people are going to want to come on the night. We do expect it to be busy. We do expect it to sell out. And we would love you to make sure that you are part of that. So get to theglencenter.com and reserve your seat at the event today. Now, what we've been hearing in the newspapers and the TV and the radio are sick to death of it, but it just, it's ramping up and ramping up and ramping up is talk about Brexit. Hard deal, soft deal, no deal. Nobody really knows what's going on. But one thing that happened this week which really impressed me as a concept and the delivery of it was equally as impressive was an event that took place in Manor Hamilton in the offices of Miranda Limited. And I'm joined by their managing director, Ronan Hazlett now, to have a little talk about his Brexit event, Brexit Plus One or Brexit Post Day One on, you might tell me the proper title, Ronan. Sure, it was, a, it was Miranda, running Miranda one day post Brexit. So Brexit, uh, Miranda post day, one day post Brexit. Now, we spoke about this on the show a couple of weeks ago when we had a chat with you and we had hoped to get up during the week, but just the way things fell, it just didn't happen. But all of the exposure coming out of the event for you, whether it was national news, there was national um, features on various radio and television programs all through the day. Before we get into the nitty gritty, what was the bottom line in terms of the day? What did you learn about your business post a no deal Brexit? I think the most important thing I learned is that my staff were very well prepared. The team, the Miranda team were the ones that led the the day. So we organized uh, what we were calling a Brexit impact tour of the business. So we had five different stations in the business um, that the tour was relevant to or Brexit implications would be relevant to. So there was a, a purchasing department, finance department, customer services, production and dispatch. So. I wasn't involved in that part of the day and the 45 visitors that we had went in three separate groups and went round to the people and quizzed them and challenged them and relative to their own business reasons to ask those questions put some very pertinent conversation around Brexit to my to my team to my staff and they all responded really well were very competent and very organized and that was a great sense of what do we get from the day so that was uh, it was great because we spent two and a half years and I put a Brexit manager in place in the business two years ago in terms of preparation for this. So essentially, we've disseminated a lot of the information that's come from the Irish Exporters Association, the Leitrim Leo from Enterprise Ireland and from Intertrade Ireland. We've taken all that information and the government of Ireland and indeed the UK government as well. We've disseminated all that data and we fed that back to our customer base by handing out um, uh, or by, by online supporting them with flyers and they set up a Brexit page on our website, etc. But we brought our customers and we brought people to Miranda on that day, which was Tuesday of this week, and it was really around road testing the planning that we'd done and how well were we prepared. And the outcome from the day told us that we are well prepared. There's uncertainties, of course, but within the within what is certain. My, my reason for doing it is I wanted to control the controllables uh, and in the context of that, as how well are we prepared for Brexit? So my customers have a sense that they've got a secure supply line. My staff have a sense that we don't need to panic on the 1st of November if that's what happens. My supply line has a sense that it's all about um, integrating in, in the supply chain of Miranda to make sure that there'll be a seamless transition. So overall, it was a knowledgeable day for both the visitor and both for the people who were giving it Miranda. 
they say that people don't buy from businesses, they buy from people. So allowing your clients to come in and see behind the curtain in terms of what happens in Miranda, put a face to that name at the end of a phone or an email. How important is that going forward for you as a company? It's very important because, like I said, a, a clear strategic vision for the company and a direction that we want to go in. Uh, and we make commitments to customers and, and we work very hard around the value set that we have in our business. And we work harder on having a culture that's um, conducive to the business being successful. But it's fine for me to have that view, but it's the team or the people that make it live and make it a reality and make it the real uh, the real positive outcome for the stakeholders of the company. It's really about your team. Um, and I spent a lot of time in the business working on the team and empowering the team to be knowledgeable and to be able to stand up and deal with the challenge of the happen in a business on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is all about people and people by people. And we found that very much on uh, Tuesday because it wasn't, I, we were there to add value to our visitors in terms of how you plan for Brexit. And that's what we managed to do. In terms of your own event on, on Tuesday, tell us a few of the people who did attend and took part and maybe spoke on the day. I'll give you a bit of running order of the day and I'll kind of integrate some, some, some names as we do that. So we had a, a registration at 10.30. And then the opening address, I spoke for a short piece. And then I had Jonathan McMillan, who was the head of the Brexit unit in Enterprise Ireland. He did a joint opening address with Margaret Hearty, who's a director of Intertrade Ireland. So I had that cross-border business dimension, which is very nice um, connection between the island of Ireland and its business preparedness. Um, then we had the, the Brexit Impact Tour. So we broke um, groups down and we had a mix within the groups. But in terms of the people that attended, I had um, the plant manager and the CEO of Mace Night Ireland there. I had um, Joe Lowe from the, the local enterprise office here was there. I had suppliers from the UK and Ireland. I had customers from the UK, Ireland, and Northern Ireland. So some of our customers would be quite significant businesses in, in the industry. So it was great to have them there as thought leaders and able to really challenge uh, and get an understanding of what Merendi is about. Because they came in and they saw the business such as it was and the type of structures and the way we run the company. And that's really useful, even aside from our Brexit conversation. Um, after the tour, then we had uh, RT News are there. So Brian Finn, the business editor for RT News, uh, he was there with us and he did a live piece on social media on Facebook Live. And then we did a live piece on the RT News, the TV News, News at One. Uh, and then we did a piece for Drive Time for Mary Wilson in the evening as well. Uh, and then at lunchtime, we had we had a buffet lunch for everybody, but we had Seamus O'Rourke did a piece, a 20, 20, 25 minute piece on some of his fantastic stories and really just gave a completely alternative view because uh, he's got a great piece on Leitrim and, 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 and the border. Yeah, exactly. I saw it live on Instagram the other day. So that got a huge reaction, most especially from our UK customers. They just thought it was super. And the feedback that we had from Seamus' um, stories that he told, he's, he's got some really, really good stories. And it really just broke the day up and to give a, a, just an interesting context about the humanity of what our part of the world is about. Uh, and uh, uh, Leitrim, um, Seamus tells such strong narratives and vivid stories about Leitrim in such a humorous way. And he's got such a special take in certain ways. And it, it, was, a, it was a great, yes, entertainment, but also just that, that kind of vivid storytelling that, that he's, he's so renowned for. So that went down extremely well. Uh, and then we had, um, we went through the, the Brexit impact of our day because I ran the company as if it was one day post-Brexit. So we had a number of orders that were being imported, none of the orders being exported. So our raw material and our, and our finished goods. So there was an impact from there, which we, we, we fed to the audience. And then we had a panel discussion to wrap up the day and was moderated by Donald McMillan, the head of the Brexit unit of Enterprise Ireland. But we'd five um, 
panellists. So Marion Harkin, our, um, a former MEP, was on a panel of a nice European dimension. I had Niall Sinnott, who was the head of Treasury Management and Global Markets for Bank of Ireland, which is, and I, uh, give that financial aspect. I had Simon McKeever, the CEO of the, of the Irish Exporters Association, to give the business frame. I had Martin McVicker, who's CEO of Combilift, the forklift manufacturers in Monaghan, who give a very strong take on the practicalities of what they've done for Brexit. And Philip Trace is the CEO of Ace Express Logistics. And it ended, and that was the interesting piece there, as he brought the customs charges and logistics element and, and um, freight element to the Brexit conversation, which is huge, which are border delays, etc. But it gave a very dynamic conversation, and all the staff, all the staff were included in. in so we closed the fact, closed the production plant, and all the staff joined in, and all the guests joined in. It was really interesting, um, because we gave context to an implication for a solo business, and then that broadened out to a much more national, international conversation. So it was really good. In terms of, without going into the specific numbers, but in terms of the impact that running the business like that with the conditions of a no-deal Brexit imposed artificially, in this case, on you, was there an impact and was it positive or negative on your bottom line? There is and will be an impact and it will be negative. But the key piece is that the negativity can be minimized and it can be mitigated. The whole message of the day was around collaboration. So the, one of the taglines for the day was collaborate to mitigate. Uh, and that's really where, where I'm going with my supply lines and with my customers. That if we work together, we can you know consolidate orders, bulk ordering, analyze stock levels. If you can um, get that um, suite of ideas together, you can mitigate a lot of the challenges within what Brexit will bring because you'll be prepared and ready for certain elements. So it was very much around planning um, and very much around the preparedness of planning and how we can encourage our customers and our suppliers on both sides to work with us so we can shorten cycles of lead times, etc. So a uh, positive message. The final question I want to ask you, and it's just in relation to the proposals that came out this week, you may have had a chance to look at this. I know you've had a pretty busy week, but the proposals that came out from the British government about the, the 10 mile buffer zone on either side of the border, that would include Manor Hamilton and your company. What do you make of those? And secondly, as part of that, if you had five minutes with Boris Johnson or even an elevator pitch, 30 seconds with Boris Johnson, what would you advise him to do at this moment in time? Gosh, there's a question, Brefney. Um In relation to your first point, I actually haven't read up on it. I haven't had a chance. It comes down about as far as maybe Tarman and Balneglera, a little bit further, almost in Drumshambo. Just, it takes most of Loch Allen and f- everything north of that is in this no man's land, effectively. Very good. Um, <laughs> no, not, not very good. I, 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 I need to read up a little bit on it in yeah. terms of giving an opinion, so I'm probably not in a position to do that. But um, it's, gosh, I hadn't realised that. I need, I need to need to get some time out to read it read up on that in terms of the 30 seconds with boris johnson what would your recommendation be you can't bring a weapon to it's just a that's that again that is a that's an excellent question i would most probably sit him down uh, and i would say that i would bring him to miranda and i would bring him through the day that i brought my customers and my guests through on the first of october last tuesday and I would show him and encourage him to take some time out to meet my staff and have conversations with them about their lives today, their lives when the time came back in, in, in terms of borders, etc. what it impacted on them. I get him to speak with my father, who would tell him 10 very relevant stories about what the border meant, some funny, some good, some not so good. 
Um, and I would get him to just understand a little bit better about what the real implication is for our part of the world and indeed for the island of Ireland, um, rather than what is the, the tone and the general tone of get Brexit done and this type of language that's been used without any cognizance of the collateral damage that might ensue as a result. So I think I would, if I had 30 seconds with him, I would give him the Ryanair website. I would tell him the flight to knock leaves at such a time from stance that lands at such a time. I'll pick you up and I'll drop you back. Yes or no. Yeah, sounds great. But I need enough more than 30 seconds to get the rest of the stuff in. But I love the way you're looking to, to discuss with him rather than just indicate like, this is what you should do. I like that. Um, Ronan, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but thank you very much for joining us. It's been eye-opening as always, and I really appreciate you dropping in. Good to see you again, Brevi. And that, folks, is all that we have time for today. Thank you so much to John Brennan of Save Leitrim for popping in and having a chat with us about everything that that campaign involves and what they would like to see going forward in the county in terms of forestry. And also to Ronan Hazlett of Miranda, I absolutely love the concept of that Brexit plus one day event that they ran during the week. And it really allowed you to focus the mind on the physical impact of buying and selling products both directions across the border. And the very best to Ronan and Miranda as they try to get through the next few months of what could be a very difficult time for a lot of Irish businesses. So hats off for putting the proper strategies and processes in place to make that the smallest possible impact. Tomorrow you will have Kiss My Arts here on the show and on Monday I will be back with a roundup of the sports action of the weekend. Talk to you then.